Beyond the Baseline is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter the promo code BEYOND at FanDuel.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code BEYOND for $20 off your first purchase. You know, I was back at USC a couple of days ago, and my my coach Peter Smith, you know, who was coaching at USC, said it's amazing that you know you look at your record and you're below 500, yet you're 32 in the world. And I'm like, you know, that's that's just tennis. You know, you gotta find ways to be okay with losing, find the positives in that, and and just you know, every week is a new opportunity. You know, one guy wins every week, so you know, to be that one guy would be fantastic. But if not, you gotta you gotta find the positives in making you know semis or a final and, and kind of riding that momentum into into more and more weeks. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. This week's Beyond the Baseline Tennis Podcast for Sports Illustrated. Before we get going with our player guests, just a thank you to everyone for the feedback, the suggestions for guests, the other show notes. We're going to try and incorporate as many of those as possible, some more feasible than others. I too would love Will Farrell. I'm not sure that's doable. But other suggestions are doable, and we're going to take those to heart. So thanks for listening. Special guest today is the number 32-ranked male in the world, which sounds impressive and is impressive. Steve Johnson, welcome. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Notice I didn't say Stevie. I want to start with a <laughs> minor point, but it's a pet peeve. Are, are you okay with Stevie? I am. All right, yeah, good. Most, uh, most everybody calls me Stevie, so that's... Uh... That's pretty much what I what I answer to. Okay, good. I, I always uh, pet peeve of mine but when people take liberty with names. They, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm Daniel, and they say, "Hey, Danny, how's it going?" It's like, no, 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 it's it's Daniel. Yeah. If I want to be called, all right, but Stevie, it is. So that's uh, I, I feel better now because I hear you called that a lot. Um, I'm guessing you feel pretty good about your year. It looks like I don't I don't think there's any way you can move one way or the other. So let's you you, you finish at 32. That's that's a strong effort. I gotta gotta think you're proud of that. Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic year. You know, it's um, still it was only my third full year on tour, and this was my first uh, full year playing just ATP events, and so I had a lot of a uh, lot of growing uh, growing up to do again this year, early in the year, and I really felt like I found my rhythm um, kind of towards the later stages of the year, and I and I felt real comfortable playing, you know, the top guys, the bigger events, and and it and it showed. So was uh, was extremely proud and happy with my year, and now I get a chance to kind of look back and. And look at the great memories, and then uh, kind of look forward to 2016. What What are some goals going forward? Just to continue to get better. Um, I usually don't set a, a ranking goal or, or uh, you know, any specific uh, you know goals like that. I just want to continue to get better as a tennis player, as a competitor. And um, in, in my in, in my opinion, I'm not uh, I'm not you know hopefully got plenty more years left on tour. So you know, at the end of the day, I just want to be able to say I uh, you know I checked all the boxes and. I've gotten the most out of my game, and uh, once once that's over, then I'll know I ha- I'll have a great career. You're only 25. That's like that's like a rookie now. But I, you know, what's a good numerical goal. I was thinking is 32. When when you <laughs> that that'll get you seated at a major. That means you won't have to play anyone ranked higher than you until the third round. Um, th- 32 seems like an awful nice number to shoot for, and you uh, you, you hit it in 2015. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 32 is. 
it's definitely is, is a big difference between 33 just because you're, you're safe uh, from playing one of the top 32 guys in, in the first round or second round of a major. And, and uh, you know, every every round is tough, but it's uh, it's always tough if you got to play, you know, a Novak or somebody first round if you're ranked outside the top 32. We're recording this on November 12th, and this puts you in, in, in your off season, such as it is. I, I always joke, the, the off season comes on a, on a Tuesday this year. Not a long off season, but you you got six weeks or so. What what is it like, and how are you balancing some downtime? Let let the body rest up with, without you know g- going flabby here. I mean, what's an off season like to you? Um, you know, for me, it's been kind of a it's been a nice couple of weeks to be honest. You know, I played. You know, we finished the year with uh, a lot of weeks in a row, so let uh, pretty much for an entire week did nothing. Let the body heal. Um, you know, just trying to get back uh, to, to feeling normal here at home and. You know, now the second week, you know, I'm starting to do some rehab and and just uh, trying to strength, you know, get the body back to 100%. And then, you know, in the next week or two, I'll start getting back into the gym and the track. And but uh, for me, I won't pick up a racket, you know, seriously until after Thanksgiving. You know, I'll hit the week of Thanksgiving light just a little bit, and so that'll give me three weeks off of tennis. And then, you know, it's right back into the swing of things, just trying to, you know, take a few boxes and get a little bit better and and try and bring some new aspects to my game in 2016. You had a, a brilliantly successful college career, and I, I remember—I think we talked about this on on Tennis Channel—that you said one of the adjustments that you faced was was just losing. And as a college player, you'd go seasons upon seasons without losing a match. Suddenly, you you get out here, and for for everyone, everyone not named Novak Djokovic, losing is losing's part of the gig. How do you accustom yourself to that? How long did that take to to adjust to? And at, at what point do you? Sort of just tell yourself, look, I can play 500 ball and still be a top 50 player. Losses are are part of being an ATP Tour pro. Yeah, it's um, it, it's a big part of being a pro. To be honest, you know, I didn't. I learned that the hard way for the first 18 months or so. You know, I really took losses hard, and and it really made me question maybe I wasn't good enough or I, I wasn't doing the right things to to get to where I needed to be. And you know, in that case, I just needed to be patient. And it's funny you mentioned you know just being 500. Um, you know, I was back at USC a couple of days ago and my, my coach, Peter Smith, who was coaching at USC said, it's amazing that, you know, you look at your record and you're below 500 yet you're 32 in the world. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's just tennis. You know, you got to find ways to be okay with losing, find the positives in that. And, and just, you know, every week is a new opportunity. You know, one guy wins every week. So, you know, to be that one guy would be fantastic, but if not, you gotta, you gotta find the positives in making, you know, a semis or a final and, and kind of riding that momentum into into more and more weeks. For the record, I, I have you at thirty six and twenty eight. Uh we we love Peter Smith, but you, you were playing plus five hundred ball. Uh, yeah. Um yeah, sorry, you know, definitely this year, but you know, overall in my career I'm I'm below five hundred, so it's just Right. You know, so but yeah, this year was a great year and you know, just trying to climb back up and win as many matches as possible. You you had thirty six singles wins, but you you closed in on fifty if you count doubles. Is is that an afterthought, something you, you you do for fun, pick up some prize money, and it beats practicing. Or is do you see doubles as a real part of your tennis identity? Um, you know, I I, I love to play doubles. You know, I love to go out there and compete. Uh, I played a lot with Sam Clary, and you know, we're just you know we're, we're good friends. We've known each other forever, so it's fun to go out there and compete with you know somebody that you've uh, you're close with. And you know, for me, I love to play doubles. I really feel like it works on, you know, many aspects of the game, you know, coming forward, returning, balling. There's a lot of big points with the no-ad, with the no-ad scoring. And, you know, I find it as a, as a tool to just get better at tennis. You know, I, I, so that's why I love to, 
love to go out there and play doubles. Here at the SI Podcast Network, we have four shows that cover the NFL, including SI Fantasy Football Podcast. That's hosted by Michael Beller. It's expressly dedicated to helping you win your league. If you're not playing fantasy football yet, this is your chance. Get in on the action. There are thousands of leagues at FanDuel. They cost as little as a dollar to enter. Cash out the same night you win. And now use my code BEYOND at FanDuel.com. Get a bonus match of up to 200 bucks. FanDuel's the leader in one-week fantasy football. More winners, more payouts than any other site. They pay out over $75 million a week this football season. Over a million players have won. Playing fantasy on FanDuel now. It's your turn. How do you do it? Simple. Go to FanDuel.com. Use the code BEYOND and sign up now. And that special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks. that gets earned as you play. Again, FanDuel.com, code BEYOND. Don't get left out. This question is going to sound like a joke, but I'm, but I'm serious in your response. How do you beat Novak Djokovic? That is a, that is a question nobody has the answer to. I, I'll back up. and also, I, I feel like this is the great underrated story in, in sports, never mind tennis right now. I mean, what, what he's doing, the surfaces, the conditions, the circumstances, the fact that he's winning – playing B-level tennis against great players, the fact that he's winning playing A-level tennis. I mean, th- this guy is about as close to untouchable as I can remember seeing in, in men's tennis. H- how, if you were fashioning a game plan in broad strokes, how do you beat this guy? I mean, it's, it's, it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of patience. Um, you know, you got to, you know, to just remember the only couple matches that he lost this year, Roger played him in Cincy and, and beat him. You know, it was extremely aggressive and and really, you know, kind of took the game to him. You know, Novak is an insane competitor. He's a he's his defense is incredible. You know, just every aspect of his game is just at the highest level at the moment. And you know, I, I think it's just going to take you know a perfect uh, one of these perfect days that's going to beat him right now. And and guys, you know, can sustain that for a set and a half. You know, but you know, once it comes down to close the door, I think Novak's confidence and and his belief and his ability to win is just too high at the moment. When you go practice at USC, or you're, I know you're still still active there, and guys are talking to you about what's it like to play week in, week out as a pro tennis player, what are some of the things you tell them? I mean, I tell them first and foremost, you know, it's, it's, it's a blast. You know, to get what you do, to get to do what you love on a daily basis is, is really something special, and, you know, I hope that for everybody, you know, in, in whatever they do in life, and you know, secondly, it's exhausting, and you've got to be able to, you know, handle, you know, the the international travel week in and week out, and being on your own, and being in a new city and a new, you know, environment and a new surface every week, and it's it's something that's going to take its toll on the body. But you just got to find a way to to kind of be practical about your approach into every week. And um, you know, some weeks you're going to have great weeks, some weeks you're going to have bad weeks, and it, you can't let the bad weeks, you know, turn into a long stretch and hopefully you can turn the good weeks into a long stretch, you know, kind of uh, the opposite of that. How I mean, you finished the season very strong, which, which I suspect gives you an extra bit of, of satisfaction that sometimes guys tend to really get fatigued after the U.S. Open, and you, you had a terrific fall. But how, how have you managed to deal with some of the – I always feel like this is one of the most underrated parts of being a player. I mean, you can, you can travel in private jet, and it's still a real pain crossing oceans and going through, you know, Go, going through immigration and you know t- time changes or time changes whether you're flying privately or whether it, you're, you're at the back of the flight. How have you adjusted to some of the rigors of travel and some of the off-court adjustments that uh, that you've had to make? 
I think that's that 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 goes along. That's a big part of uh, you know who you have around you. I think you know people that can influence you positively. You know, week in and week out. You know, this year after the Open, um, you know, I was pretty pretty tired, pretty beat. You know, didn't really want to go to Asia. Um, you know, to play Tokyo and, and Shanghai. But you know, you get on the plane and you get there, and I still wasn't fully, you know, 100% mentally there. And so I had you know pretty okay week there. One, you know, my first round each and then lost, and then. As soon as I got to Europe, you know, I was pretty pretty beat, but I just knew, you know, there, there there's a there, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to go out there and, and give all your energy, and and you got to just not let the little things affect you during the matches, because uh, once you let something negative creep in towards, you know, when when you're mentally tired, then it, it, it can it can steamroll and get a lot bigger. So I did a great job of uh, just kind of sticking to the you know the X's and O's and just going out there and competing. Wait, I, I want a deeper dive on that one because that's a point that a lot of players make. They, they talk about sort of positive energy and blocking out the negatives and don't letting negative things fester. How does that play out practically? I mean, is that you're, you're sitting there waiting, waiting to return serve and you're concentrating on an injury? Is that self-defeating? No, I mean, I mean, how, how does that well, actually play out when players talk about getting infected by negative thoughts? Um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a big part of the game. I think you can kind of see those momentum shifts, you know, maybe not so much from the top guys, but, you know, from just like the next level down, um, you know, it's, it's something where, you know, if you could, if you're winning, you know, let's say you're, you're up a set then a break and you're holding so easily, you're, you know, you're just kind of holding, 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 all of a sudden it gets time to serve for the match and, and you lose serve. And, and, you know, some guys could let that affect them and, and that could just be the end of the match right there. Like you've never had a, you never faced the break point. All of a sudden you get broken serving for the match. And in your mind, you're thinking, you know, why did I just get broken? I've held, you know, 10 straight times really easily. I should be off the court. I should be thinking about the next one. And it's just something where you just got to trick yourself and, and, you know, just be like, you know, for me, it's just like, look, you know, these guys are, you know, incredible. The fact that you've held 10 times in a row is great. So now let's get back to business. You're still up a set and you're still on serve. It's five all. Let's go, let's go out there and just try and get another one. And if not, let's just hold one more time and get him in a breaker. It's just something that you got to mentally do to trick yourself just to, to not let, you know, one, you know, instance, you know, affect, you know, what you, the good work you've done for an hour and a half before that. Is that any different than it is even for a recreational player? I mean, is that, is that something that changed when you played professionally or is this something you had to get over and deal with when you were 14 years old and playing in the juniors? Um, I think it's something that, that you learn and develop. And, uh, you know, I, I think you see that with, you know, most guys, I feel like, uh, you know, who are excelling at tennis, you know, in, in the ATP, it's, they don't let the they don't they get off these negative moments so quickly. You know, another good one is you know Novak last year at Wimbledon. You know, he serves for the match. I think he gets fed in the fourth, loses it, loses serve, loses the fourth, and all of a sudden you're like, maybe Roger's gonna you know come out and get an early break in the fifth. Maybe Novak's thinking about it, and all of a sudden Novak just puts it away and says, all right, let's go. You know, let's go back. I'm in a fifth set, and I I think he won it. You know, six two or six one, you know, something like that. It's just it's things like that. You know, he could have. Taking the easy road out, had you know, he served for the Wimbledon, you know, title and and lost it, but he came back in the fifth and just uh, went back to his game plan and, and got the job done. Whether it's the NFL, college football, college basketball, the NBA, or even tennis in London as the season ends, sports fans have an amazing autumn in the next few weeks ahead. Next time you head to the game, though, or your favorite concerts, try the SeatGeek app. It's easy to find the best deal on tickets, and when you use our code Beyond, you get back twenty bucks. Here's how it works. Very simple. Download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free. It takes less than a minute to download. Then search for your event. Find a great deal. Enter our code BEYOND. And when you complete the purchase, SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks. It's that easy. 
SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online. Kayak for tickets, I call it. When you shop SeatGeek, you're seeing virtually every option available, so you'll get the best deal. The mobile app makes it easy. Again, here's how you're going to do it. Download the app today. SeatGeek app. Enter the code BEYOND. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Hey everyone, Dave Zirin, a friend of mine, has a new podcast on the Panoply Network called Edge of Sports. This week, the guest is John Legend. He speaks out about Missouri Tigers football, his own personal history of activism and music. Search for the Edge of Sports on iTunes and Stitcher or visit panoply.fm and find the show. Again, that's Dave Zirin and the Edge of Sports. One of the big talking points in tennis right now, in U.S. tennis, is this, this optimism Guarded optimism, but optimism for this this crop of juniors on on the boys' side in particular. There were you know three different major boys' title winners this year were American. How much are you connected to this group? And I'm I'm also curious as someone who succeeded in college and while it may have taken a year or two, made that transition successfully. Are you are you surprised none of these kids, even for a year, are trying the college route? Um, yeah, I'm surprised at a few of them. You know, there's a few that. Uh... You know, you're not surprised. There are a few that you are you are surprised, but I have a pretty good contact with, uh, you know, Riley Opelka, Tommy Paul, uh, Francis uh, TFO, and uh, Taylor Fitz and those guys, and I really think they're they're good. You know, there's a really good group of young, you know, U.S. tennis, uh, you know, kind of kids coming up, and I think it's going to take them a couple years, you know, two, three years to to really, you know, figure out what it takes, you know, um, you know, with a, you know, with like a Taylor Fritz, you know, he comes out and wins two, you know, two big challengers. He's, you know, 200 right now. Now I think he's going to sit there for a little bit just to kind of learn how to be a pro and, and, you know, it's going to be how they deal with the adversity of being 150 for a couple of years. And then they finally make their breakthrough, you know, at 21 or 20, you know, whatever it is. And, and then it's going to be, you know, how much better can they get? And I'm really excited. You know, these boys, they work hard. They got well, great kids and, you know, hopefully we can uh, watch them for years to come and just uh, continue to be great tennis players and great people. I, I, and I got to say too, I mean, even off the record, pe- people say, "Look, there isn't really a jerk in the butt." I mean, good good kids is is really accurate, and that's not something people are saying. I'm glad you you feel that way too. Let me, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, of course. Chris, what what role does faith play in your in your life and your career? And I'll I'll ask my follow up when you're done. I'm uh, sorry. Come again. What what role does faith play in in your your life and your career? Um, I think it's a, it's a big. It, I mean, it's a big part. You know, you you uh, you put your faith and trust into you know into a lot of things in life, and you just got to believe that there's something bigger out there than what you're competing for. And you know, it's at the end of the day, you know, you know, you can see, you know, for me, I can see, you know, I have a really bad day. You know, yeah, that day is terrible. You know, maybe you know nothing went right. Everything went, you know, but. At the end of the day, you know, I'm still getting to do what I love to do. I'm traveling the world. You know, I'm not, you know, you know, it's, 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 I'm pretty blessed to be doing what I'm doing. So, you know, at the end of the day, even if it's, you know, one of these really bad days you have on a court or, or, or a really tough loss, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, you're still living a great life and you got to be thankful for that because uh, you could be in a, you know, a much different position and, and, you know, not be in the position you're in. The, the reason I asked when, when I started covering tennis in the late 90s, there, there were, a number of players that were pretty open about their faith. You know, David Wheaton comes to mind. Not, not. I mean, completely appropriate. Nothing in your face or anything like that. But sort of, he was a, a person of faith, and there was a, a chaplain, and sometimes there was Bible study. And I, I don't see much evidence of that. And I wonder, sort of, what your experience is in terms of the intersection between religion 
and professional tennis these days. I, I just I, I don't see the, the the demonstrations of faith. I, I don't see the the chaplain at the events anymore. And I, I just wonder, as, as someone as, as a believer, what it's like to be in the this sort of tennis ecosystem now. Well, it's just different. I think you know, we're in a day and age maybe where it's everything's a little bit more personal, and you know, I think you have guys doing you know stuff or you know going to you know you know religious services on what and whatnot, but. It's, uh, I think it's just a little bit more personal these days, and I think, you know, maybe guys aren't showing everything, you know, other than, you know, to their closest, you know, friends on tour or, or whatnot. So I think it's just something, you know, with the times that have changed, everything's become a little bit more, uh, you know, close close to the vest kind of thing. Gotcha. Well, let me ask you, too, you're, you're 25 years old, which I, I think is a little misleading given you don't have the hard miles and, you know, 25 anyway is not particularly old in tennis anymore. But what is your attitude toward your game in terms of change? I mean, you're not going to you're not going to totally break down your strokes. You're not going to start hitting a one-handed backhand. But at the same time, you're also not going to say my game is my game and it's it's etched in stone. Where's that balance between improvement without breaking down whole strokes when you're number thirty-two in the world? I mean, you're always trying to improve. That's what you're doing as an athlete. You know, you're always you know my serve, my forehand, or my you know my weapon. So. You know, even though they're my best shots, I'm going to go out there and continue to try and make them better. Um, you know, I think you know if you're an athlete and you're not trying to and you're not trying to get better at, at everything, you're you're going to be left behind because you know we're all we're all trying to you know reach Novak. You know, since he's in one the world right now, and and he's you know working hard and trying to get better to to not let anybody reach him. So there's always somebody work you know ahead of you. There's always somebody chasing you. There's always something you can do to get better. And uh, you're not going to change everything, you know, drastically. You're not going to change strokes or, you know, be right-handed and go left-handed. But it's, um, you're always going to continue to get better. You know, you know, maybe it's just the percentages get smaller at this level. But you know, a little bit of a, you know, one percentage point, you know, getting better at a forehand is, is going to make it make a big difference. I think. Last question. We we both have to run, but I, I'm wondering, are you surprised right now? I mean, you you, you get at USC, terrific college career. You're going to try this. If I told you. End of 2015, your top 32 player. Are, are you saying that's about right, or are you saying that's going to take a lot of work? I mean, what's your level of surprise with how your career's ascended? I mean, I think leaving USC, you know, I, and I think maybe with with a lot of people, the expectation is obviously to be extremely successful and and to be you know the best in the world at this or that. Um, until you know, maybe in 2013, it became a reality that. You know these guys are these guys are good. You know what what do I need to do to make it get better? And you know I, I think realistically, 32 at 2015 maybe was a stretch. Um, you know, but you know I'm, I'm extremely happy to be where I am. You know, it shows uh, I put a lot of hard work in on and off the court. And you know I'm just ready to you know kind of enjoy this season, but get ready to get back to work to you know be you know end up you know top 30 next year. Before you enjoy the season, go enjoy the off season. You, you got course. a few weeks here. Uh, I appreciate it. That was great. Steve Johnson, 36 and 28, plus 500 ball, number 32 in the world. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming by. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. That was Steve, Stevie Johnson, number 32 ranked player. Good guy. A lot of poise and a lot of self, self-possession for a professional athlete. Enjoyed talking with him. Again, you guys have been great in terms of sending suggestions. Some are more feasible than others, but always happy to have your feedback. We'll be back next week with another guest. Again, this is the Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch you next week.